There's no way. How many of us in this room today could say that those words applied to their lives? I think every single one of us. We should. Uh, if, if we're being very truthful with ourselves, I'm going to have to adjust everything here. Okay. It's good to see everybody this morning. I'm glad to, glad to be here. Uh, glad everybody got through the, the rains and all that we had. I think it could have been far worse, but we were... Uh, we were blessed again, and uh, I know there's a lot of people that um, may not be able to say quite the same thing, except they should, because for them, at least they're able to say it. At least they, uh, physical things, homes, things like that can be replaced. People cannot, and uh, I'm grateful that God spared us, but I'm also Glad that, that um, God spared those whom he chose to spare. So, before we get started, let's, uh, let's go ahead and open with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of uh, worshiping you this day. <clears throat> for being able to come and share 1 John chapter 1, an exciting chapter. And we just ask your blessings upon us today as we hear these words that they will sink into our heart, that you will, through your Holy Spirit, be with each of us today as uh, we learn and as we grow in the spirit, wisdom, and knowledge of your word this day. Uh, Again, thank you for everyone here. I thank you for Hill City Church. And just ask your blessings upon us as uh, we continue to grow, not only spiritually, but in numbers as well. Uh, thank you for our visitors today. We, we praise you for them. And, and again, we just ask you if you would be with us as um, we share your word and as we hear it. Bless us to that end, we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? We are going to read. This is a short chapter, First uh, John 1. It's only 10 verses. Uh, Brett actually has um, given us a fifth of it already in verses 8 and 9. But we're going to read it all once again. Hear now God's word from 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light. And in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light... As He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. 
Grass withers, the flowers fade away, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Amen, church? Amen. 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 Thank you. You may be seated. For the men in here who have preached before and who have done it for a number of years, far, far longer than I did, one of the beauties of being able to prepare a sermon, in my opinion, is is that we are going to learn more than you all will. We're going to grow more than you all do. Um, I have... I have, and I've already prepared First uh, John 1, 3, and 5. And I'm going to tell you something. That's some exciting stuff. It, it was really just a, a blessing to, uh, to be able to prepare these sermons, just to look at each verse and, and, and analyze and, and consider what, how we could write it to make it to where everybody could understand it. But uh, this, this was just a tremendous blessing, a tremendous joy to me. And uh, I hope and pray that for the other guys who are going to be preaching 2 and 4 and uh, into uh, Second and 3rd John, <clears throat> that they will have that same joy. This particular chapter is very interesting to me, even as short as it is, just 10 verses. We use this passage in its entirety today as our reading. I know that's kind of an unusual thing, but I will tell you this, be prepared for this in the coming chapters. This is a short book, and yet very, very pointed. So I think a lot of this is going to be done by using full chapters. At least it will in my, my readings and all. There are two distinct thoughts in these ten verses that we're going to unfold for you this morning. The first you're going to see in the first four verses. We, we're given the most important piece of motivation for sharing what we as Christians believe, what we live on, and what we live in. The writer, of course, of of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John is, we believe, the apostle that Jesus loved, that being John. Verses 1 through 4 are words that they not only heard, but they touched that word specifically. And because it was shown to them some 2,000 years ago, because they have seen it, they testify to it, and proclaim its very existence, they feel compelled to not only share it with all who will hear, believe, and obey, but they have a strong desire to complete their joy in that word through their fellowship with us. In other words, because of their beliefs and their action, to teach and preach that word, they know that they will have eternal fellowship with God the Father and God the Son. Furthermore, they want that same joy for us so that we can indeed fellowship with them at some point in time. That's part of their compulsion to write what they know, for they cannot keep it inside. And yet, they're not the only ones to write these things. And we know, before we go any further, we know the Word. We know who the Word is, right? It's Jesus. But I want you to look at Luke 1, 1 through 4, when you get an opportunity. And I'm going to paraphrase this. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us as they were handed down to us by those who, from the first, were eyewitnesses and servants of the Word. There's that word again. 
I've decided to write an orderly account for you so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Did you get that? So that you may know that you can have great faith in, that you can have an understanding of, and be able to utilize what you have understood. It all works together. But you see what's happening here? The same thing that we see in 1 John 1, 1 through 4. Those things that were witnessed firsthand are being written down so that those who don't have that luxury can read it. They can comprehend it. And even better, they can ingest it. And then after all that, they will desire to share it as well. All right, let's stop there for just a second. I have a grandson, Casey. Or Casey's youngest son, Andy, who could care less about sports. He could care less if he understands the concepts of baseball, though he played a few years, played at it a few years. He could care less if he could understand the concepts of basketball, though he played at that a couple of years as well. However, at the very moment that I was typing this, working on this piece of this sermon, typing it, he is standing right next to me knowing that I'm typing that very second. It doesn't matter. He's got something to share with me. He's excitedly telling me with hands flailing all about, kind of like me, about some TV show that he likes. And he, for the life of him, cannot understand why I'm not as excited about this show as he is. But he feels compelled to tell me about it right then. Not five minutes from then. Not when I stop for a minute to look out the window or whatever. Oh, no. I'm typing with my two fingers. I'm going at it. (laughs) Done it for years with two fingers. (laughs) And it frustrates him no end when I'm I'm listening and go, "Uh uh-huh, 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 and still typing. He thinks because he is sold on it, I should be too. But I'm not. And it frustrates him. Have you ever been in a position like that, only it's Jesus that you're talking about to somebody that you know? And you want them to know Jesus like you know Jesus because you want to spend eternity with them in heaven. They might not be able to see what you see right then. But you see it. You've had the Word open to you. It's become a part of who you are. You understand it. You know that, that, that you need this. We all need this in order to be able to have eternity together in heaven. But we also know that we are commanded to share that Word, right? So there you are. You're, you're explaining Jesus in the best way you know how. Perhaps maybe it's on your own personal witness to what Jesus has done for you. I still say that's the best story that you're ever going to know. You're pouring yourself into that conversation with everything you have. And yet they're not getting it. This, I think, is kind of how John was writing this particular chapter, this particular book with an urgency about him. This is how other disciples wrote, or they talked, or they taught, or they preached, or, or whatever it was, but they were teaching and preaching Christ and Him crucified. But looking at this, 
and the way people were accepting it or not kind of reminds me of what we talked about just a couple of weeks ago in my Salah sermon from Luke chapter 8. They were putting everything that they had into it because they so believed what they were talking about. They were scattering that seed over everywhere. And yet, there were so many that would not hear. Or they would hear and choose not to believe. Or they would hear and then for a little while live for Jesus and then fade away. Or they just simply, in essence, say they have heard or read about him. But sorry, this guy Jesus that you're trying to tell me about is just not for me. Do we have that kind of passion for the gospel? To want to share it with others in that way? Do we get frustrated when we offer that free gift to the many people that we know and love and they don't want it? I've been asked so many times, How do people make it without Christ in their lives? It's a very real question. I do not have an answer for them, quite honestly. But do you know why it's frustrating? Because like the disciples, they wrote the Gospels and the letters. They want to have fellowship with us. Now, they're not going to come back into Hill City Church today and and fellowship with us there. No, This is not necessarily here on earth that they're talking about. But they're talking about fellowship in heaven. And I honestly believe that part of our knowing that we belong to Christ is when we experience that same frustration when we talk to people about Jesus and that relationship that we have with Him. And they don't accept it. Look at verse 3 again. John mentions the fellowship that is in Father and Son. Of course, that's through the Holy Spirit. We cannot leave the Holy Spirit out. Does that mean that we should not fellowship with others outside our beliefs? Would be safe, wouldn't it? But no, that's not what it's saying at all. Did Jesus, did Jesus not do anything with anybody outside the confines of his friends? Absolutely, he did. Look who his closest friends were. Look at what, he, at what he said. He didn't come to save the righteous, but he came to seek and save the lost. Luke 19, verse 10. The lost. Those who don't believe in God. Those who, when they saw Jesus perform miracle after miracle, still could not believe. Go 30 or so years ahead. After Jesus returned to sit at the right hand of God his Father. Look at Acts 17. The Apostle Paul sees literally hundreds of idols. Temples to idols. All around Athens. Hundreds in the thousands. And Paul begins to tell them of something that was strange to their ears. As they said in verses 19 and 20. A question that should be so sweet to the ears of a Christian. We hear them again in Acts 2. Men and brethren, what must we do to be saved? These guys in Acts 17 wanted to know more. And yet, only a handful of those people who heard came to believe. 
Could Paul have looked at those Stoics and philosophers and said, I'm not going anywhere near those guys. What a humongous waste of time that would be. They're sinners of the worst kind. They'll never go for what I'm trying to tell them here. No, he didn't. He went into the middle of them and began to preach something new and wonderful to them. Would Paul get frustrated because not everyone would hear and then believe? You know he did. Why? Because he wanted them to be able to fellowship in heaven with himself and with John and with all of the disciples of that day and of today and of generations past and of generations future. But many chose not to believe. That's a small sampling of what these verses 1 through 4 mean and should mean to you and me. So what do we do as we see in these first four verses? What do we see? We've got to know who Jesus is. We've got to know who he is not only in the world but in our own lives. We've got to prepare to proclaim him for the world and for ourselves. This will enable us to experience true fellowship with other Christians. If we do these things, we are going to experience true joy. And that joy can be considered complete. And you may want to ask yourself this question. Listen closely. This is a good rule, I I think you could say, a rule of thumb. Do the unsaved people in my life have more of an influence on me than I have on them? Think about that. Do the unsaved people in my life have more of an influence on me than I have on them? This just might help you clarify where you are as a follower of Christ, as much as the frustration of telling others and them not accepting it can be for you as well that we talked about a bit earlier. So let's go through 5 through 10 here. Verse 5, we have a statement that I, I give to you all quite often when we're about to partake of the Lord's Supper. This is the message that we have heard from Him, and now we want to proclaim it to you, sharing what we know about Jesus as the light. As the word, as the water, as the shepherd, and so many other I am statements that we see in the Gospel of John. We must be ready to share what we know with the world. Here in verse 5, we see the simple thought that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. Look at Isaiah 60, verse 2. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has, has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon them, and His glory will be seen upon you. Prophecy of the light of Jesus Christ, coming to give light to the people and take them out of the darkness of Satan. That's what we want to share with the world. We need to do that. This is a daily effort that we must be diligent in. Not so much for our sake, but for the sake of a lost and dying world, as we said earlier. 
Yes, we, we've been commanded to share that good news of Jesus Christ. That's what gospel means, the good news. But so often we get hung up in our own lives. The question I asked a few minutes ago about who influences who in your life. It's a very important question to make us stay aware of who we are. Are we a child of the light or are we a child of the darkness? Do we let the world weigh us down? If so, why? Look back to the first five verses that we've been talking about in our reading this morning. What are we wanting to accomplish here on earth? What should we want to accomplish here on earth? Maybe is a better question. What did the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19, and 20 tell us to do? Sit on our haunches and let others do our work? Nope. Not the way I read it, at least, anyway. And yet, isn't it easy to lose sight of what we are to do? That's why it's important to do certain things daily. We need to, to pray daily. I love this, the, the last song that we just did. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Not once, not twice, but as often as you need to do it. We need to be daily reading each and every day to fill our souls with the Spirit of God. And then we need to be fellowshipping very, very often to stay on task. Our micro groups right now, holding others accountable, I think is a great, great way of being able to stay in the Word each and every day. All right, we've harped on the bad stuff a bit. We've got to realize that we all do make mistakes along the way, right? We get lazy, we get complacent, we get belligerent. We get busy, we get resentful, forgetful, tired, unfocused, and every other word that we can think of that might take us off of the tracks. And if you're like me, you can come up with any number of good and not so good excuses as to why my feelings or thoughts or, or what the world can offer us rather than what we receive when we're in the loving arms of our Lord and Savior. Those things have a way of taking our minds away from what should be our first love. If we look at it from the standpoint of the church, and we should, and the admonition that came in Revelation 2, 2 through 5. Now, this is another study that we're going to be take, uh, starting up here in the very near future, I guess after the first of the year. Uh, we're going to be going through Revelation. But the letters to the churches, those seven letters to the churches are very, very important because every single one of them address each church. And that includes us in some way or another. But right now, let's look at Revelation 2, 2 through 5. We see that this is a church-wide problem as well. Not just for you and me, but for uh, as individuals, but as the church total. As we see today, churches can drift away from their first love as well. It's happened. So we have identified our problem to a point, I guess, and that begs the question, what can we do to keep us in step with God? What can we do to stay close to Him and to help lead others to Him as well? Look at the challenge put before us. Immediately in our reading for this morning, verses 6 and 7, if we say that we have fellowship with Him we walk and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Did you get that? It's rather straightforward, I think. 
But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. This reiterates what we heard in 1 through 5. I've talked many times before about some of the things that used to be a stumbling block to me. Actually, for my family, I was the stumbling block. I I preach constantly about the three things that we can and should do with regularity. We need to pray, we need to study God's Word, and we need to fellowship one with the other. Three things that as a younger husband and father, I did not do. At times, I didn't drift away from Christ. No, sir. I got in the boat, got the biggest paddle I could find, and paddled as rapidly as I could away from Him. And yet somehow... Some way, he always brought me back to shore. Things I could not see at the time that I can look back now and realize God was watching out for me every step of the way, every time I messed up, and he brought me back from the edge. It was him. It was him that did that. But you know, I had to learn some things. Things like, I might could lie to people at church and tell them about my relationship with Jesus and be lying like crazy. But God knew my heart. He knew where it was. And yet he didn't turn his back on me. I was walking in darkness. I was blind. I didn't close my eyes so much as it was Satan had covered my eyes over And I did not even know it. Yet it's so easy to to think when Satan snows us when we are sinning. We think we're doing good. We think we're doing all these things right. Look at verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. How plain and simple can that one statement be? Nothing like getting smacked in the face with the truth, is it? So John teaches us right here that if we want to walk in step with God, we've got a truly desire to want to walk with Him. This is not one of these happenstances, okay? We are drawn to Him. Effectual calling, we call it in Reformed theology. But we are drawn to Him by the Holy Spirit. In fact, it says in verse 9 that if we confess our sins... What happens? Brett told us earlier. He, meaning the God of light, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not just a little bit. Not just a portion of it. All of it. So we start off with a clean, fresh slate with Him. These last two verses are exactly part of what we should be sharing with the world, in my opinion. That's part of the good news. To be able to fellowship with Him. To be able to walk with Him. There are things that we need to do on a regular basis beyond what I call the big three of prayer, study, and fellowship. Those are exceptionally important. But in order to continue or to get into the habit of a daily walk with God, we must be putting some other things into practice. Yep, maybe prayer is first and foremost. That should be the one thing that spearheads all that we do each and every day. But we need to seek God's help. 
We need to seek His wisdom. How many times when we pray do we seek His wisdom or guidance? Or do we just go to God with a wish list? We'll be talking about that in a couple of weeks. But He's going to welcome us back after we sin, after we turn away from Him. But we've got to get to that point to get back to Him. And we've got to know what we're doing. Show me. Show me the way. Give me your wisdom so I'll know what to do. We must seek His help to bring us back to that relationship we once had with Him. And then once we've begun that journey back, there's some things that we need to recognize and act upon for ourselves. First, we should agree with God. We are sinners. That's the very first thing that we need to have when we talk to somebody who is not a Christian. We've got to get them on that common ground. Yes, sir, we're sinners. I may have Christ in my life, and maybe you don't right at the moment, but I'm a sinner just like you. One of the points that I touched on barely that really should have more attention is that our pride is going to get in the way. Sinner? Me? Oh, yeah? I may ever lie every now and again, but it's to save somebody from getting mad at me. It's to keep them from being upset. <coughs> Romans 3.23 does tell us that indeed we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But folks, that's not an escape clause, okay? John 1, 9 and 10 tells us that we must confess our sin. In other words, we must agree with God that yes, we do sin. Like it or not. Furthermore, if we don't say that we sin, do you see what it says? We make God out to be a liar. You willing to do that? Are you ready to look God face to face and call Him a liar? I don't know. And as bad, His Word and His light just is not in us. Let's look a second beyond just us and look at the church. If you look at the church that in all likelihood John was writing to in this particular mini-series of a, of a letter was to the church in Ephesus, as we see in Revelation 2. There was an elitist attitude about that church. They didn't need Jesus. They had a direct relationship with God. So Christ did not fit into their plans necessarily. They had inroads to God that, that separated them from the world or even the rest of, the, of who were attempting to follow Jesus. Many churches today are following that same line of an elitist attitude. They have knowledge and therefore they have power. They're the ones who will just off the cuff say, you know, those poor such and suches, they're bound for hell. You know? I've always heard that, that going into hell, a little joke, that as you walk into heaven, and you, uh, Peter was telling you, you know, this is, this is for the Presbyterians and this is for the others. And then, shh, as they walk by this next door. And the, the person there was like, why are you asking, or why are you telling me to be quiet? He said, Are up here. <laughs> 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 
Sadly, a large portion of the known church today has had that attitude for centuries. John tells us here that in order for us to grow as the church, we've got to agree on one basic premise, that we all are sinners. I've hit this passage now for the third time, so I believe it's a very important passage to to get a good grip on. But look again at Revelation 2, verses 2 through 5. Again, it speaks to us today as to what we need to watch out for. I have this against you, it says. You've abandoned your first love. Remember who you were and who you are and to what you've fallen into, back into your sins. Repent and do the works you did at first. Part of those works are all of what we've been talking about all morning long. If sin was not an issue for us individually or in the church, you wouldn't think we'd spend as much time on the subject, would you? If God thought we had sin put away, the Scriptures probably wouldn't be nearly as important. We'd have maybe a third of the people here this morning Because, hey, I didn't sin this week. I don't need church. Hey. But it's a huge topic. God begins quickly in His Word that many of our forefathers, our Old and New Testament heroes, had sinful situations they had to deal with in their lives. It's amazing. Let me ask you a question. Do you know the difference between a believer and an unbeliever? We look a lot alike. We do many of the same things in life, don't we? We even enjoy the same things. I think you'd see a lot of us going to the same movies or or whatever the case may be. But there's one big difference between us and unbelievers. It's the believer's attitude towards sin. The believer understands that sin separates us from God. He understands that sin causes hurt. It causes problems between brothers and sisters in Christ and in biological families. Furthermore, the believer realizes that God did something about sin all for us. He gave us a gift. A gift had a name. His name was Jesus. He died on the cross for you and for me. He took our place on an instrument of death so that we might have eternal life. So that we might have fellowship one with another who call themselves Christians, who have a desire for us all to spend eternity together. He calls us, you and me, to these efforts so that like the early disciples, our joy can be complete. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this wonderful lesson Um, It came from John. It did not come from me, but it came from your spirit, and I thank you for that. And I ask you if you would, would you be with us as we continue to to go through these these, uh, chapters, these letters that, that I cannot imagine the love that welled up in the heart of John as he wrote these things and why he wrote them. He he, he put it out on paper. He wants to have fellowship with us to complete their joy. May we continue that thought 
with all that we come in contact with. We know we're going to fall short. And for that we ask forgiveness. But Lord, give us your courage. Grant us your wisdom and your guidance so that we can go out into the world, that field that is ripe for the harvest, to make a difference for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.